Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we meditate on this morning is from Psalm 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Generally, we're impressed with people who do things that seem impossible, not with people who do things that are fairly easy or mundane. For example, we probably wouldn't be very impressed with an adult who can ride a bicycle. That's fairly easy. But we would probably be quite impressed with somebody who rode a bicycle across a tightrope strung between two skyscrapers, assuming he made it across, of course. That would be something to see, something to marvel at. Jesus does the impossible, and as the psalmist tells us in our text this morning, it is quite marvelous. That's our theme for VBS this coming up week. Jesus does the impossible. And our VBS kids are going to get to see numerous stories in which Jesus does things that do indeed seem impossible by human standards. Jesus not only does the impossible, but he does it for us in our lives. And those impossible things that Jesus does causes us to marvel, and even to marvel to the point where, like the psalmist says, we sing a new song to the Lord for the wonderful things that he has done. The marvelous works of the Lord uh, remain long after the monuments of the ancients have crumbled to dust, don't they? How many of the seven wonders of the ancient world can you remember right now? I'll give you a little bit to think about that. Usually you just have to listen in a sermon, not think right for yourselves. But you can take a minute to think if you can remember some of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Well, first there's the pyramid, the great pyramid at Giza, the hanging gardens of Babylon, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, which is actually mentioned in scripture, the statue of Zeus at Olympia, the mausoleum of Heracarnassus. I said that name over and over again, I still can't get it right. The Colossus of Rhodes, and finally the great library of Alexandria. I remembered four of them before I looked them up for this sermon. And it would be quite amazing, it would be quite impressive if we could see some of these monuments for ourselves. Personally, I always was kind of fascinated with the Colossus at Rhodes. There's some debate as to whether it actually spanned the water or was just set up next to it. But that would be pretty neat if you're actually able to sail underneath of it. But of course, we can't see them. They're all gone, except for one, the Great Pyramid at Giza. The ancient world was all about monuments. It was the desire for many of the kings to build something that would remain for millennia to come and proclaim how great they were. They wanted to build something that would cause people to sing their praise. And yet, despite how great these things are, very rarely do we take the time to sing the praises of those who built them. In fact, even if you could remember all seven of the ancient wonders of the world, how many of them could you say who built them, much less be inspired to sing their praise? 
We rarely sing the praises of those who built these things, and, and I've actually been to the Taj Mahal. It's not one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because it wasn't built in ancient times. But it is probably as impressive as many of those monuments. And I've actually seen it four different times, and I never felt inspired to sing the praises of the man who built it. In fact, I don't even remember the man who built it, despite the fact that I've been there four times. And yet that's exactly what the psalmist does with regard to the marvelous works of the Lord. Contemplating the marvelous works, the impossible things which God does for us, the psalmist says, I want to sing the praises of him who did these things. One of the big differences between the monuments of the ancients and the marvelous works of the Lord is that the Lord does things for us in our lives. His marvelous works, even though they may have happened six or four or two thousand years ago, still affect our lives. And it's a lot easier to remember those things that affect our lives. They're much more important to us. I don't remember that much about the, <clears throat> the Taj Mahal, but I do remember with fondness different people who have affected my lives and been there for me when I needed it and who have helped me through difficult times. Jesus' marvelous works are far more marvelous even than these monuments because they're things that he does in our lives for us. Most of us know Psalm 145, verse 16. You, hope, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Those are the marvelous works which God does. Right now, he's doing it every day. His marvelous works are done in our life when he provides for us and takes care of us and gives us what we need for this life. The marvelous works of the Lord, the, the impossible things that he does for us, are not things built with stone and clay, but they are things built with love in the lives of his people. All of the seven wonders of the ancient world are gone except one. And if they're not exactly forgotten, they also all that we have left of them is descriptions. And descriptions don't really cause us to marvel. It's hard to get excited and to really marvel at a very old ancient description of some monument that somebody built many years ago. But the marvelous works of God are not forgotten. And many of the marvelous works of God which God did in the past, again, we didn't see them with our own eyes like what he did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or what Jesus did when he was here on this earth. Again, all we have is a description in Scripture, and yet the marvelous works of God are so great that even the description we have of them causes us to marvel and causes us to sing his praise. That's what we've been doing here this morning, isn't it? We've done it twice already, sing, sung hymns praising God for his marvelous works, and we'll do it again uh, once more before we end. The pyramids and the Taj Mahal are impressive, <clears throat> but even when I see them in person, I don't have any desire to sing and dance, but I do have a desire to sing the praises of our Lord, the impossible things that he does for us. The marvelous works of the Lord remain long after the monuments of the ancients are gone. The marvelous works of the Lord also accomplish in our life far more even than the technology of modern man. The Apostle John tells us in his Gospel, John 21, verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. How many marvelous works, how many impossible things has God done? Did Jesus do while he was on this earth? Well, John says there's so many that he did, that there's no way 
we could write them all down. Modern men are, are obsessed with technology, aren't we? The ancients were obsessed with large monuments that would stand forever. Modern man is, excess, is obsessed with technology. That is, finding ways to harness the power of nature to our will so that we can control it. The ancients were obsessed with how high buildings could be built. Well, we've built some pretty tall buildings, but we're more obsessed with how high we can send a rocket into space, even to the moon, than necessarily how high a building is. The, the ancients were obsessed with how long they could make buildings last, and we're more obsessed with how quickly we can send data spinning around the globe. But nevertheless, however much we've achieved with our technology, the marvelous works of God, the impossible things which Jesus does, are more and greater than even the technology of modern man. Man attempts to dam up the rivers so that he can control the water and the floods and even try to, to control which fish swim where, right? But Jesus, with one word, caused the lakes and the rivers and the wind and the storms to be still. Jesus' marvelous works are more powerful, aren't they? Man splits the atom so that he can flatten his foes, as we did. But again, Jesus, with one word, causes his enemies to fall on their back. You remember how he did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He spoke a word, and the soldiers fell down before him. Again, Jesus' marvelous works are greater. And man, of course, spends millions of dollars and lots of time uh, in surgery trying to delay and push back the inevitably, inevitableness of man's death. And Jesus speaks one word, and the little girl comes back to life, and death is vanquished. Jesus' marvelous works are far greater even than the technology of man. But more important than all this is what does he use that power for? Man tries to harness the power of nature to control nature and to store data in large quantities. Jesus uses his power to help. He uses his power to heal those who are broken, to cause the lame to walk, to give sight back to the blind, but most importantly, to give to us the forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus' wonderful works, Jesus's, the impossible things that Jesus does are far more impossible. Taking sinners like us and changing us into the sons of God, washing us in the blood of the Lamb. The marvelous works of the Lord accomplish more than the technology of man. The marvelous works of the Lord are also even more powerful than the, than the cataclysmic events of nature. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 41, and this is one of the stories that our VBS children are going to get to hear, tells us they, that is the disciples, feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? One thing that often stops us in our tracks, right, one thing that causes us to sit up and pay attention is when we hear on the news about some cataclysmic event of nature. If the news starts reporting about some volcano going off, or some hurricane, or some earthquake, or some tidal wave, we usually sit up and pay attention, especially if they have good video footage. Watching a volcano explode is impressive. It's fearful, and it's destructive, but it is marvelous. 
the power of nature that you see in a volcano. These things bring destruction and chaos. And yet the impossible things which Jesus does, the marvelous works of our Lord, are more powerful even than these cataclysmic events. These things bring death and chaos and fear, but Jesus' works bring life and peace and order to our life. Especially do we see that power of Jesus at work in his sacraments, don't we? The sacraments are Jesus' answer for us to the destruction of nature that we live in. Where a volcano is powerful and causes destruction and is quite large, the sacraments are small and yet they bring life and are even more powerful even than a volcano. Whereas a hurricane might bring death to hundreds or maybe even thousands of people all at one blow, God's sacraments, his baptism and the Lord's Supper, bring life to one person at a time, but even more powerful even than a hurricane. And whereas wildfires might spread fear before them, God's sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, give us peace. Peace with God and peace with knowing that our sins are forgiven. The wonderful works of God are more powerful even than the events of nature. And that power is seen very vividly in his word and in his sacraments, which work among us this very day, causing us to marvel and sing at the marvelous works of God. We have seven wonders. We talked about the seven wonders of the world, right? And we have the seven wonders of the ancient world. And we have the seven wonders of the modern world, and there are other lists that you can look up, the seven wonders of this or the seven wonders of that. But I've never heard before the seven wonders of Jesus. That might be a good list to make, right? <clears throat> because Jesus' works are greater, are more enduring, are more lasting, even than any of the wonders of this world. And so we could take a minute here to think, if you were going to pick seven, it's hard to pick. Jesus has so many wonders. It's maybe hard to pick just seven, but if you're going to pick seven of Jesus' works and say, well, these are the seven greatest works of Jesus, then what would they be? I'll give you a minute to think about that. And of course, there's no right or wrong answer. Well, I suppose you could give a wrong answer if you said something that Jesus didn't do. But in general, there's no right or wrong answer. But you can compare your list to mine here. So I was thinking, what are the seven wonders of Jesus? Well, you've got to start with creation, right? He created the world. That's got to be one of them. Incarnation. He was, God became man. That's something to marvel at indeed. Justification. He died for our sins. Resurrection. He rose again. Ascension. He ascended into heaven. And the fifth one, I think, would be sanctification. The giving of the Holy Spirit, which he did at Pentecost and which he still does to, for us through uh, his word and his sacraments. And then finally, judgment, when he comes to take us to heaven forever. I think that would, be, that would be my choice for the seven wonders of Jesus. If you have slightly different ones, you can tell me after church. But whatever you pick, they are indeed things to marvel at. And to marvel at so much that we want to sing a new song to the Lord, for he has indeed done marvelous things in our life. Amen.